Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello and welcome to the Nile and I'm podcast with me, Andrea Cleary, and him, Niall Byrne. I'm doing Hi. the intro today <laughs> because there might be some noise on Niall's end, but that's fine. We're professionals. Uh, today, we're really excited um, after, what is it, two, two and a half years or so, um, longer maybe, uh, we have had a friend of the show, Sorka Richardson, on to talk about five songs that influenced um, the sound or the songwriting or just in some way uh, her new album, Smiling Like an Idiot, which is excellent, is available now. Buy it on Bandcamp. Um, Sork is also playing the Olympia uh, this Thursday, so two days from now. And we had a chat with her and it was great. So Smiling Like an Idiot is just out. Uh, we talk about how... The producer, the LA producer, Alex Kazanoff, was a key part of it, talking about working over Zoom uh, to record an album. And as well, of course, like her big tour dates, Sorka's big tour dates are happening as of this week, uh, Wednesday in the limelight in Belfast uh, and the big Dublin headliner in the three Olympia, uh, the Olympia in Dublin on Thursday, which you'll be going to, I believe. Nice. And then dates in Edinburgh, Manchester, yes. London, Brighton, I am going to uh, all, and Germany and the Netherlands, Amsterdam, all throughout November as well. So really nice to get Sorka back. And um, yeah, I think there, look, there's the, you've, you, I would say for extra reading material, uh, go and read um, the journalist Andrea Cleary's uh, The Journal of Music uh, of Ireland <laughs> uh, review of the of the record, and I think that gives you a good grounding in what the record is and what it's all about. Um, so yeah, thanks to uh, Sorka for doing the chat, and of course, if you want to join and uh, participate in more conversations around music like this, you can uh, join our Discord, and you can get access through patreon.com forward slash another nine, as well as weekly playlists. I think I'm going to do a uh, best of all time volume two. It's about time. Uh, I won't be at the gig uh, next this week because I'll be away. I'm going to New York. So that means there's no podcast next week, but um, there's plenty there to delve into for now. And uh, yeah, let's have a chat with Sorka. Hello, Sorka. How are you? Nice to see you again. We nice were to saying see you we were saying that um what was it, February twenty twenty is the last time you were on, Andrea? 
Like, yeah. I think, yeah, either January in or person. February. In person, I mean, yeah. You were the last guest we had in before everything Everything closed. I think, was it, I a cho- it was a choice prize special, was it? Or maybe oh, that's January, why January, I was January 2020. Yes, that's right. You were, your choice prize yeah. nominee was the reason you were there. That was why I was, yeah, talking yeah. about myself again. <laughs> Only the 77th episode. Jesus, we're on 189 or something now. There wow. You go. Wow. Okay. Um, you have to have a party like for episode 200. Uh, yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think, did we do anything for 100? No, of course not. We never do anything. I, I think we were just like, no. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of, a lot of effort. It does, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe a live podcast here or there. I don't know. We yeah. keep threatening well, to do Well, that. 100 was during the lockdown, so we were probably too depressed. We were just like, oh, yeah. Let's, yeah. Just, yeah. let's just get this over with. <laughs> there was nothing to do. There's nothing to do. No, no. But anyway, there's plenty for, uh, going on for you. There's plenty for you to do at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> you've you've right, got right, a right. tour coming up because you just released your second album, Smiling Like an Idiot. I did. Very good. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, nice to be able to probably look forward to a a run of shows that you know are probably definitely going to happen. Like the, the t- my tours that we we did, like my last Irish tour, we rescheduled it seven times. Um. <sighs> Uh, you must have got to a point where you're just like, well, what's the point? Like, yeah, like and my manager over that again, and then come back to that point again. You're just like, honestly, my manager texted, or he was like, "We're okay, going to move them to these dates. Are you free?" And I didn't even check my calendar. I was like, "Sure, <laughs> like makes yeah. no difference what date it is because it's not going to happen." Um, that, and mm. I think at one point I was like, "Okay, if this one doesn't happen, will we just cancel them because this is getting ridiculous?" And he was like, no, Zerka, I, I know. He's like, they will happen eventually. And they're, you've sold a lot of tickets and you don't have to sell them all again. So, you know, he was mm. right. But it was, I don't know, just, I felt like it, I, I was, it just, it, I was like, this is never going to happen. So what's the point of even, even getting myself into a headspace where I was like anticipating yeah. any, any, even like mm. set list or, production or anything i was like i didn't engage with any of that because i was like that will just make me disappointed yeah it's some form mm. of abstract art you're engaging with this, imagine, <laughs> yeah. this imaginary tour that was never gonna happen <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> what, what the, the, is tour now, now it's nice to be able to like you know put out an album have a plan and actually follow it through so yeah. far mm. so good you know um rather than just hoping sort of mm. is that what you want when you put out an album it's it's like okay the album's out now i i need to tour it yeah i mean i guess it for especially for this album because so much of i think many of the decisions we made in the studio were either informed by you know things i had learned from touring the little bit of touring that we did on the first album and you know ideas i had about what it would be like when we did this thing live and so mm. we, we and even over the summer we've done like maybe four or five of the songs from the album at festivals and stuff like that which has been really fun like they most of the songs are really really fun to play live and so i can't wait to do them in a you know do all of them <laughs> really in <laughs> big venues mm. with my full band and all of that stuff so it kind of feels like the thing isn't you don't it, it's a one half of the the puzzle is actually playing them. Yeah. It doesn't fully feel mm. like it's completed until you actually do that part of it too, I think. Yeah. And so will will the songs from First Prize Bravery get a run on this yeah, tour yeah. as well? Of course. They'll, they'll get their dues. They will. They'll get their it's get, I, yeah. I feel like this weird guilt though, doing the set list, you know, it's like when I was younger mm. and I was allowed to like bring one teddy on holiday and I was like, okay, and then you have to <laughs> oh leave God, like all the others same. at home. That's how I feel now. <laughs> doing this <laughs> but it's good. I saw, I saw a, a TikTok that was like, um, to, to all the girlies who felt bad for not saying goodnight to your teddies <laughs> or for leaving out some of your teddies, how are your attachment issues going? And I was like, do not yeah. come for me like that. <laughs> not today. <laughs> So not today, <laughs> not this morning. <laughs> oh dear. Um, so how are you feeling now with with the second album being out? Is it is it easier the second time around? Um, it feels 
different. I like I enjoyed this release way more, and I think that's because uh, I'm I made an effort to market in a much bigger way. Um, mm. Like me and three of my friends. You probably know this because I'm sure one of my people, like one of my one of my people, one of uh, someone, <laughs> your people, <laughs> someone, talk to our someone people. yeah. That's how it works. Um, so we we rented a camper van and we drove around Ireland for a week and we did like eight little pop up mm. shows and um, that made it feel like ve- very celebratory and kind of exciting and like I remember when we put out the first one, I think we had like a listening party for some of my friends. We did an in store the next day. And then I was like, cool, that was fun. Um, but it's, I don't know, it was kind of nice to to sort of celebrate it in a bigger way. Um, and even in the, the pop-ups, like I did like small little mini solo sets for like 20 minutes or so, which was kind of nice as well. Um, so yeah, this one has actually been very fun. <laughs> you get, you've given us a few songs um, that we're going to frame yeah, the discussion with. I'm interested. Uh, um, but before we get to that point, I guess, we'll just, uh, with the album itself, I, I'm interested in, you know, uh, what did you learn from the first one that you took into this one? Because, you know, first album is always the big one. You know, it's like, oh, I have to, you know, I got a debut album. It's, and then you come to the second one. And I'm like, did you know... Did you learn stuff from the first one that you were just like, okay, I know what I want, I know what I want to say, I know what I don't want to say, I know how I want to put things across? Yeah, I think I felt way um, more at ease making this one than I did the first one. Like the first one I felt, because I'd been releasing music for a while, like I'd put out a lot of singles before I'd ever made an album. Probably like an album's worth of singles, to be honest with you. Um and so then when I made the first album, I was like, I felt I did. F- maybe that is what people feel when they make their second album. You know, that's sort of the the pressure because people already have an idea of who you are and what you do and this kind of thing. Um, so the, I, I did feel pressure on my first album. And I remember at many points through it, I was like, no, this is wrong. And this isn't how it's supposed to sound. And even like we did a rehearsal with the, with the band once and everything was still like so up in the air. And I remember going home and listening to all the voice memos from that rehearsal and being like, this is all wrong and we need to start again. And it was, none of that was true. It was just, we were just in the process of figuring things out. Um, so I think I didn't really feel that stress this time around. And I sort of allowed myself to enjoy it way more, I think. Um, there were many times when we were doing things in the studio as well that I was like, I don't know if that's the right idea, but sure. Like, let's, you know, we're having fun. Let's just follow it. It doesn't really matter. So, um, I think that was felt quite different to me this time around. Um, and also like I produced a couple of songs on this album, which I didn't the first time around. I don't think I would have had the confidence in myself to do that. Um, on the first album so I think I would just I had a lot more confidence doing this one and was there a shorter time in which to record compared to album one we yeah like this one we had 10 days properly in the studio um which was wow that's not, not very long, long at all I think the last day <laughs> we were there from 10 a.m until 5 a.m you know so our 10 days were oh. like we made this joke that we were by the end of it that we were living on a boat because we never saw the sun and <laughs> we felt completely delirious and I was, it just it it actually made me feel better to think that we were <laughs> we were like on a boat off at sea um <laughs> but I think the first one like we had probably had a mm, maybe 3 weeks or so you know so this mm. one was kind of weird in that it started working, we we did it quite remotely because I was in Dublin. Alex, who I did most of it with, was in LA. So there was like a month or two of Zoom calls and whatever, making some decisions and sort of fine tuning things. Then he came to Dublin for like two weeks. We did those very intense days. And then he went back to LA and we finished it remotely. Um, nice. So in, in a weird way, it actually took longer because we weren't together for some of those parts, but um, I think actual recording time was shorter and more, much more intense. Yeah. And that, that kind of um, zoom assisted post production 
kind yeah. of stuff. I mean, that changes something surely as well. It's like must take a bit of getting used to to do that kind of thing as opposed to sitting yeah. around somebody. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> like I wouldn't. Even I did like some songwriting sessions like that. Uh, yeah, that must be very tough because you know you're not feeding off somebody so directly in front of you. You're. It's we. It's really weird because you're also you're on the call. Mm. Like some of them, you're you. I was on the call for like seven hours or something, which just is way too long to be on any call about anything. And you Especially have to be okay with with silence yeah. as well, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. But it's really awkward because like you'd be playing something. The, the nice thing about being in a studio or in a room, so it doesn't have to be a studio, it's just like you can, you play something and then they add to it and you play along and then you're, there's like a sort of organic collaborative thing that happens. But if you're, there's, even if it's a very good line, there might be a half a second delay and then, as soon as someone tries to do it, it just sounds awful. And then it's, re- it's, oh God, it's just. And you're also, you're having your ideas and like, so, like in terms of songwriting, sometimes very personal ideas <laughs> yeah. mediated through something that could like glitch or yeah. you could lose your connection or like, it's, it's just having to mediate something very personal through tech is I imagine like quite difficult yeah like I I had no difficult conversations over zoom during (laughs) during COVID because it's just not it's not the place to do it you know so I imagine songwriting for that reason would be um just that like like you said that half second of silence could just be like oh god no (laughs) yeah I don't like it or and the, the other thing that I found really hard was um was that often like I like so my girlfriend would be like in the next room like because everybody was working from home so she'd be like you know in the room in the room in the kitchen working away and I'd be in the living room on a weird zoom call for like eight hours writing a song and Mm. I was like can she hear me because if she can that (laughs) is this is so embarrassing like this is a process that nobody outside of it should ever witness Least of all, mm. like someone very close to you. So, yeah. oh, I just, but having said that, like there are some songs from those sessions that made it, uh, like that ended up becoming like Stalemate came from one of those sessions. Hard to Fake It came from one of those sessions. So it wasn't pointless. Um, just but different. I, different. Different and not particularly, not my, my favorite way of doing it. Yeah, fair, fair, fair. Okay. Yeah. Okay, well, we pick. Uh, let's play um, a bit of your first song that you chose, and you can tell us why you picked it. This is uh, the Cocteau Twins' uh, Cherry Colored Funk from the 1990 album Heaven or Las Vegas. is one that kept coming up in the studio when we were recording it. Um, I think it was Alex actually who first mentioned it. Um, I think it's, it probably maybe is a good indicator for some of this like production choices that we made specifically on songs, maybe like spotlight television. I don't know. There's kind of like this like dreamy warbly sort of 
kind of lo-fi texture thing going on, but it's all very um and, and the, like even the guitar tone on it, I think, was one that we were like, "That's perfect." How do we do that? <laughs> you know, there's not that many points on the album where uh, we'll like very um, closely sort of try to recreate something that we hear. I don't really like to do that, but um, I don't know. Sometimes if you take one little ingredient of something and then build everything else your own around it, um, I think this just sonically that like the guitars and the synths, even the way the vocal is treated, it's kind of not really out front and center. It's kind of part of the tapestry as well. Um, Mm. That was sort of why we kept coming back to it, I think. Mm. Classic shoegaze. Speaking of um, of taking one little ingredient, there's a, there was, I cannot remember which one of your songs <laughs> it is on the album, and I'm sorry, but there is a, a kind of a David Bowie Space Oddity yes. guitar slide <laughs> yeah. on it that I absolutely loved. And when I heard it for the first time, I laughed. I was like, I can't believe she did that. And it works so organically within the song. Um, and I was like, is that, what was that like, intentional were you like I want to do a Bowie here or did it just sound good I think though I don't remember us outright referencing it but I do remember us talking Mm. about that song so Mm. it could be that like someone does something and then everyone laughs and you're like keep it in you know yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, it was. Yeah, when I heard it first, I was like, "Oh, that's great!" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think I'd I'd just seen the Bowie documentary, or I was going to see it, so I'd been listening to a lot yeah. of Bowie as well. Like, Fab, <laughs> brilliant, love it. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is this is my Tericolor Funk is my favorite of uh, of of their songs as well, and yeah, it, it's just it's such a dreamy song, and it's just it's so beautiful and I don't care what they're singing about yeah. it doesn't matter to me like I don't I don't know and nor do I need to know I'm just I know I don't even just, know if um, I could quote <laughs> I've listened to that song so many times no. I, I could probably would struggle to tell you very many lyrics in it yeah same it's it's like it doesn't it it's it exists in like a different yeah. language or something like I don't I don't need to know it has its own it's very kind of um uh like image provoking as opposed to like, you know, story. That's lovely. Well, having said that, there is a lot of references to a place in in your new album, um, Dublin, of course. And (laughs) um, yeah, the places like the Lord Edward mentioned in there. And, you know, I mean, I guess when we talked before, you know, our... I first knew of you as somebody who was New York based and then you moved home. And so I guess... Like how do you, how do you feel about Dublin now? I mean, it's a, it must be, I mean, it must be a bit anticlimactic sometimes coming home to, to Dublin from New York. Like it's a lot smaller. It's a lot of it's a village compared to New York. You know, it what is. I mean? But Which, I was getting ready to go on holidays yeah. to New York. I told her. So <laughs> I'm not moving though. No, well, not, we'll see. Not um, I don't know. I think in some ways the fact that like the differences between New York and Dublin actually are the things that made it easier to come back here because uh, like I moved, I, I hated being back in Dublin for the first year. Like I really did. And I couldn't, I had great plans to leave again and I just never really got my act together to do that. Um, well, you had a pretty good excuse. Which COVID? <laughs> it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think I was probably home for maybe a year before. Well, yeah, to be fair, yeah. when that happened, I was like, well, I really ain't going anywhere now. But um, like, I don't know. I, I like I like that Dublin is more like a village. I did the big, the big city thing. Like I lived in a big city and I absolutely loved it, which is why I stayed for so long. But by the time it came for me to leave... I didn't really want to live in a big city like New York anymore. So, I mean, Dublin is not without its issues, of course. And well, I mean, one of the things that I've noticed, and and you've written about it as well a little bit, is you know, I think every week I do the Irish track of the week, and every week there's a song about how Dublin is bringing someone down or like yeah. upsetting them, mm-hmm. or you know how there's not much here for a young person, or and it's like every week it's pretty relentless. Like if you're paying attention. Uh, the pulse of the nation of the nation's young people is is right there in the songs that they're writing every week. The frustrations are there all the time. Um, and yeah, it is. 
I think it is an interesting thing because, you know, we are in a unique position, like there's that song uh, on the album um, where you mention, uh, is it hard to fake it? Uh, talk to the Americans, point them back to their hotel. You know, it's like yeah. something, you know, hotels have become such a hot button issue here <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the last few years, you know, like everywhere you turn, there's a hotel and, and people, so the people who are in charge, there's not enough hotels and then everyone else is like, well, there's nothing, there's no culture here at all. So yeah. yeah. I'm literally in a hotel right now. Yeah. Like there's a hotel being built around me <laughs> at this moment. Yeah. We have enough hotels. And then yeah. hotels, every yeah. time something that has real value for, you know, the local community or culture seems to get, re- if, if it goes, the thing that replaces it is a hotel. Um, yeah. Often, often. And venues and all that stuff. And it's yeah. like, you're saying, I know your song 525 said Dublin City shutting down. I know you're probably talking about COVID really, but like, I mean, yeah, but it's mo- someone, someone else asked me about that and they were like, you know, is that about like all the local seeing all your, you know, everywhere in Dublin kind of go out of business and be replaced by hotels. And I was like, e- yeah, actually <laughs> that's not what I meant, but that is totally applicable as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a I have a weird kind of relationship with Dublin though because I left when I was 18 and I came back when I was all, like just before my 27th birthday and so I don't think I'm as fatigued by it as a lot of my friends are because um there's parts of it to me that still are really <laughs> feel very exciting and new but at the same time I mean all of the like the, you know the housing crisis and all of that that affects you know, a certain generation like that, I obviously am affected by that as well. And so there's, you know, even my, my band, like my, of the four musicians who I employ, none of them live in Ireland anymore. Every single one of them has moved away in the last year. Um, and that's kind of only happening more and more. So that's the other strand of things I see, especially yeah. is like, uh, I, I don't know how many times I've written London-based, like yeah. Dublin singer-songwriter <laughs> yeah. or something yeah. like that. based yeah. Mm. Mostly yeah, it's London at the moment, it seems to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I understand why it's been happening for a long, long time. But, um, you know, when things aren't happening here, you're like, oh, well, there we go. Here's another one. <laughs> yeah. And it's fine. It's understandable. But like, you know, it does, it does make you feel a bit like... Mm. there's a lot of people having the same experience here but you talked about positive things there so what about Dublin that you <laughs> do you actually love as opposed to just like ragging on it um I mean I I love the music scene here I think it's really very spe- I think it's really very special and it's something that I didn't find when I was in New York and um I don't know it's just uh, like that was like so many of my friends who I made since moving back to Dublin are people who I met through music and uh, that can be a really kind of um, sort of encouraging thing when, especially when you're a solo musician, because a lot of that is like time <laughs> on your own, in your own head with your own kind of anxieties. And But if you feel like you're part of a community, which I really do here, um, it makes that much, much easier. And uh, that's something that I really, really value. And I don't think you find everywhere. I mean, <laughs> let's hope we hang on to it because obviously we've just said that half the people are leaving. But um, but it's been like that for a long time, you know? Yeah. I mean, so, and yes, community persists and scenes persist, I think, as well. So, yeah. you know, people always want to come, like yourself, people always want to come back here if they can. And <clears throat> I think it's like, mm. you know, like you're on a label, like Faction, who also are pretty instrumental in releasing um, a number of Irish Dublin artists uh, who, you know, and that's really good because that means the industry is based here as well. Exactly, as close yeah. to, oh, we have to go to London to, to release the album and or find a label. You know, it's like that's building up the industry and those things can really help as well. And the more, and, and there is more of that. There's more infrastructure around music in, in Ireland now than there was 10 or 15 years ago. And that's only a good thing. So it means there are reasons to come back. You know, I was in, what, the playground mm-hmm. uh, last week, Diffusion oh, yeah. Labs place in Drimna. And you're like, it's massive. <laughs> and they've done such a good job of it. And they've, you know, it's like, it's ambition and it's, you know, yeah. trying to establish community. And you're like, that's, we need more mm-hmm. of that. And it is happening. It is happening, but it's just very difficult mm-hmm. to make that happen um, in the face of yeah, everything that's happening. I think that's, that's something that, that the music community here have like 
they've never lacked ambition. They've never lacked um, the willingness to kind of graft for for spaces. And like it's it's probably harder now than ever um, to to kind of get things going and make things happen for so many varieties of, of reasons. And I'm constantly just in awe of the fact that stuff is going on against all of those odds like you know like post-pandemic or not like recession like oncoming recession or not all of it brexit everything like every time i see something going on like or like a festival or especially like a new festival or a new venue or anything like that i'm like wow (laughs) (laughs) can you imagine what what it would be like if we actually had like proper support yeah. uh, from from the government like real real support um and real kind of um trust from the government that these that these things would be a good yeah. thing you know it it would be it would be incredible um but yeah no they've never lacked um kind of graft and ambition which is nice i agree what you're talking about is change and we have a song called uh, I Can Change by LCD Sounds. You are killing it. It's incredible. that um for a few reasons when we were recording the album the first thing that we did um was we, we recorded everything to um drum machines so the first thing we did was make a beat in a drum machine uh and then i would record guitar and vocals to that um often we would mute the drum machine afterwards <laughs> and it, it, it often didn't even make it into the final um like the, to the actual song, but it was way more inspiring than singing to a click track. And we we recorded the album at the clinic, uh, which has every type of drum machine under the sun uh, in there. So um, that was kind of crucial to the feel of a lot of them. Um, but then this song is one that also kept coming up for the kind of more like the songs like Hard to Fake It and Purgatory, which are a bit darker and a little more electronic and... We actually one day, I think we're on a YouTube video about like how to mic the drum kit specifically in the way that James Murphy did in in uh, in this song, I think, <laughs> which we spent ages doing. And uh, I I don't know if we even got it right, but it was one of those things where like, this is a great idea. Let's follow it and let's do it. And everyone was all very excited. And then... Uh, I don't know. This uh, this was as well hard to fake. It was was the last song that we kind of worked on in the studio, and maybe the hardest one to get right. There was a point where I was like, "This is a disaster. Let's leave it off the album." Like I just don't think it's working. Um, and now it's probably one of my favorites. But I remember I kept listening to this song. I'd get so lost in it, and then I would come back to this song, and it would just give me some kind of clarity. Um. Mm. On how to find my way through. Nice. So, sort of a, a roadmap of some kind. <laughs> or maybe yeah. a, a, a reset <laughs> to bring yeah. it back to where you thought you were going to go. Exactly. Um, there's yeah, like a few yeah. kind of, um, there's like a drum, kind of like a, uh, there's like these like pitch toms or something from one of the drum, I don't even remember which which drum machine it was, that are in the, the like middle eight of Hard to Fake It that always remind me of um, of of I Can Change. Um, so there's a few little like nods to it, but it was definitely LCD was mm. definitely a reference for the less bandy, more dancey tunes on the album. Yeah, 
I love that. Mm. <laughs> that is that your, that kind your of favorite drum LCD sound? Drum is amazing. System. Drum sound is amazing. Did you say, Andre? Did you say is that my favorite LCD song? Mm. I don't know. I a big fan of Oh Baby. That is one of my faves. Mm. Um, I don't know if I don't know if it's my favorite. It's definitely one of my favorites. But for some reason, mm. it made the most sense to me in the context of what I was doing on these songs. Yeah. And sometimes I think it's really easy if you start using drum machines and um, synths for it to take on a very, like, sort of glossy, maybe mm. slightly too poppy um, mm. sort of sheen. And I think LCD do, are, just they, they use those things in a way that still sounds kind of, there's a real human touch to it all, um, yeah. which I was definitely trying to hold on to on some of our stuff. I have a fa- mm. my current favorite song because that's the kind of band the LCD yeah. are. Right? Us versus them is my current favorite song because I was watching the uh, the Madison Square Garden show and you know the it, they do it at the live gigs and actually I saw it at Brixton over the summer and the bit where it kicks in and the uh, disco ball hits and you're oh, like oh yeah <laughs> yeah that was a that was a special moment from this summer and I was uh, reliving it the last few weeks and uh, yeah that's my. Yeah, I, I like to just like whenever anybody posts, especially in the Discord, any kind of cringy stuff that James Murphy's doing, um, I just ignore. I'm just like, no, <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm only going to listen to the music. I'm not going to look at anything else that's going on around that man. But um, look, there's worse things you can be in the world than cringe. Uh, so, <laughs> true, true. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, true. Um, you're, the third song that you chose was the only one on the list that I didn't know um, before going in. So I'm excited to hear. Yeah. Um, so this guy, Dijon, um, he supported he support Bon Iver uh, not yeah. too long ago. Um, he wasn't supported last night, was he? No, he did the US tour, I think. Oh, very, very good. Um, yeah. And that song many times from the album is the one that the live version yeah. Did. Have you seen that one? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really amazing. But I don't know this song. This is uh, this predated. So tell me a bit about this. I'll play it first. And this cool. is uh, Good Luck from Dijon. Back in the days when I held you, oh, I really held you. I pulled you and compelled you. And maybe I was spared. Back in the days, if I hurt you, Oh, I really hurt you Barely look you in the eyes then Oh, maybe I'm a con man, a con man You don't need a rabbit's foot or good luck charm What the hell, I wish you well Couldn't do you no harm So that song is just a, a minute and 15 seconds. Is it off an album or off a, a release or um, just this one, a Lucy? Just a Lucy, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he, we, when I was in um, America, we were actually kind of under the same management and stuff. So that's, I knew his music very early because of that, mm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I always thought he was brilliant. Um. And he's so he he he's put out a couple of EPs and a couple like many 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 standalone singles. Um, he I actually I didn't know which one of his to include because I th- I listened to him a lot. Um, and I think he's a real master of like very short succinct songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and early on anyway, like I used to. Like I think like Petrol Station, which is a song of mine that came out in 2015 or something, that song's like five and a half minutes long. Um, and sometimes my impulse is to say everything. And uh I was really trying to fight against that on certain songs in this. And I think it's like, you know, it does a, a minute if if the song only needs a minute you know, that's enough. You don't need to go write a second verse and a bridge and a chorus and a post-chorus. Like, um, so maybe like songs like 525, I think, 
I was just trying to just say only what was necessary and sometimes that's actually way way more effective yeah and it's harder to do probably and it's also for a listener it's the kind of thing that you're like oh it's too short i want to go listen to it again yeah so yeah exactly you're like oh i wish it was longer but sometimes you don't need it to be longer you just need it to be as it is and it's yeah. fine you're like yeah that's just long enough uh yeah great uh five to five he mm. isn't played over here yet has he i don't think so i don't think so Although I guess, you know, what's going on with touring at the moment, it's kind of hard to describe and feel whether anybody will be coming here. <laughs> <laughs> Ever again, I know. Ever again, yeah. I mean, obviously, we, last week on the podcast, we were talking about Alma Collective cancelling their gigs because they just yeah. can't make it financially viable. I'd say there's a lot of, uh, it's very tough for American artists uh, to come over here, uh, especially if the UK is a big part of, as it always yeah, is, exactly. part of their touring schedule. Um, probably less... You know, I mean, you're doing uh, UK gigs, but you're also doing Germany and the Netherlands in the next uh, month or so. And uh, I guess, have you known, you have, like, do you know how difficult it's going to be for the UK buzz? I heard uh, Owen uh, O'Sullivan's podcast, actually, Point of Everything with Gilliband, and and they were talking about the Carnet system. And I think it's like, no one really knows what's going on or how it works. It's But they were saying, yeah, yeah, like 30% of the cost of, of, their equipment has been held in a deposit yeah um, and it's just i don't really know how it works at all it's like how you never get that money back unless you stop touring exactly like, it just seems bizarre so and also yeah. like the other thing that's really difficult now with touring the uk is selling merch because yeah if you mm. ship it over you have to pay huge import tax on it and then so all of your profits are gone. <laughs> so then what's the mm. point? Um, and as I've, everyone talks about all the time, merch is like one of the ways that you might help yourself to break even on a UK tour. Um, mm. So yeah. yeah, every time I see someone cancel and a, a tour. A lot of bands are like, uh, like selling merch outside the yeah. venue as well so that they're not hit by costs exactly. um, fr- from the venue, from the venue. Like, as well. So yeah. Yeah. Been saying, but at least there's a bit on to do today. People actually trying to do that, and I guess you could like get all your merch printed in the UK for the UK if you wanted to. But uh, yeah, it still doesn't make it easy, and that's just that's just the extras, not the the core stuff that you need. Yeah, I mean, often to- you're losing money anyway. <laughs> like I did a UK tour in um, when was that February 2020, which was not profitable. You know, um, mm. and that was before Brexit and before everything else. So, but the UK also doesn't have great um, fees for anything, like for for music, for no. for bands, especially. <clears throat> well, if you're starting out, maybe like if you can sell out venues, that might be a different case. But like, it is really tough over there. So, it was already tough before Brexit and everything else and uh, inflation and whatever else. So, um, yeah, um, it's a tough it's a tough place to go to at the moment. It is. Mm. <laughs> Having said that, I'm like, and I can't wait to go there in three weeks' time. Well, yeah. <laughs> Glutton I mean, for punishment. Edinburgh, yeah. Manchester, London, Brighton. So where do you like to play in in the UK? Um, You know, like, I actually love playing in Manchester. Manchester is great. Um, it's not on this tour, but I've played a few shows in Nottingham, which has always been really fun as well. It's a really good student town. There's a big university there. Um, haven't played Edinburgh before, but like have played Glasgow a couple of times, which has been great. Um, and obviously London is, is good because there's so many of my friends are in London. So it's like not quite a hometown show, but there's always loads of Irish people there. Yeah. Um, mm. But yeah, it'll be like I'm I'm doing I'm doing this one slightly different than I did the previous one because uh it just I can't like last time I did it we did totally full band and you know no expenses spared and this time I am doing a, a sort of modified version of the live show just to make it affordable. Mm. And mm. you're of course playing your biggest Dublin show ever mm-hmm. um this thursday in the olympia that's you know it's no matter who you are it's still less it's a special occasion that right like the olympia it's it's a big one it's mm. a big one and it's a it special venue one, yeah. to do like you must be looking forward to that one 
I can't I honestly can't wait um I just think if you grow up in Dublin like you obviously everyone has their favorite like hometown venue and for me it's always been the Olympia and I've like I've supported a few people there um but I've obviously never headlined it and even with these songs like I just I can't wait to play these songs in that scenario you know in that environment um it feels very special I I know a few a few years ago maybe like two years ago I was talking to to my managers and they were like yeah you know they mentioned like you know and then sort of like they were laying out a plan and they were like and then you know by this point maybe you wouldn't be it wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility to do uh, an Olympia show and I think at the time I was maybe doing a headline show in Wheelands and I was like I was like, okay, <laughs> like, that's that's a nice idea. I'm sure, you know, it didn't at the time. It didn't seem to me. I didn't quite know how I would get there. Yeah, um, but here we are. Very good. Yeah, lovely, lovely. Okay, well, uh, our our next choice is uh, from the band Big Thief, uh, and it is their song Masterpiece. Let's hear it. Did you get to see uh, Big Thief uh, earlier this year? Soccer? I did in the National Stadium. Yeah, <laughs> great gig. What a gig. Um, what a gig. I'd actually seen them at Vicar Street before and yeah. I preferred that gig. Oh, that's good because I was at that I one. I think it was the National Stadium. It makes me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> the Vicar Street one. You know, I, I genuinely think it was just down mm. to where my seats were in the room. And I like yeah. Vicar Street, I was like up on the balcony and had perfect bird's eye view of the stage and then the national stadium I just think mm. I didn't have very good seats and it and I was so you know when you're so so mm. so excited for a gig and then you get there and you're like oh it's not I everything see. I want <laughs> this isn't right. this yeah. was supposed to be perfect where were you where were you <laughs> kind of like uh in the in the the first like block of seats um on kind of the mm. curve okay yeah I I just think there's a few places in that venue that are uh if I was booking tickets for there again I would I would I I think I'd yeah, know where to book now. It's so but funny I, right, yeah. I, I know those I, who I went, got tickets beside the stage. I know those people who, who went to that gig yeah. and like loads of them were like, Oh my god, it's an amazing venue. It's like such a good view and blah blah and then there there was like a little pocket of people being like, No, no like it's it doesn't work as a venue and for exactly that reason that there's just a few pockets yeah. that are blind spots and I was like oh that's that's such a shame and also was somebody not in the discord saying that there was a so like a hot dog van or something <laughs> at a di- not a big thing um, but at a different thing hmm. and, and that there was like a smell of <laughs> hot dog. I, don't, I don't I don't know about I'm, a hot dog van a I, think- I have a vague recollection maybe there's a sign for well, hot dogs well someone could smell hot dogs when they went to <laughs> oh right, yeah. Somebody, somebody was seated near a smell that was like, mm, "This is yeah. overpowering." Yeah, the you just don't expect to smell <laughs> yeah, food yeah, while you're yeah. at a gig. I'm gonna get hungry, and mm. but um, yeah, I still haven't been yeah. to a gig there. Um, it could be here. Yeah, you never know. know. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> Andrea, I'll look up where my seats were, and I'll. Please I'll do. text you that and yeah, just avoid, I'll, I'll avoid there that area. You'll probably be fine. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> but uh, Masterpiece by Big Thief is uh, <laughs> just uh, one of my favorite songs, one of my favorite of their songs, maybe my favorite of their albums as well. So, um, yeah, tell us a bit about what, mm. wh- why you were listening to this song while, while you were recording. Um, I mean, I think Adrian Anker is probably my favorite songwriter around today. I just think she is brilliant. She does, she, she writes in a way that is so intimate 
you know, you kind of feel like you're overhearing a conversation between like two people at the next table in the restaurant or something. Um, but there's, I don't know, on the, for my album, I feel like there's two sort of things happening. And one is like the more, you know, the LCD sort of synthy kind of dancey thing. I mean, that's a pretty, that's a, my version of that, which mm. is not the full, <laughs> the full shebang. But then the other thing on my album is a much kind of like looser guitar driven band thing going on. Um, and I think my reference for that is like, is kind of always Big Thief. Um, there was a point maybe towards the end of the studio days where we decided to have um, a guitar player called Jay Curran come in and play set like additional guitar stuff on it. And that's not something we did on the first album. The first album, all of the guitar was played by me um, or by Alex, but Jake is an incredibly good guitar player. So he, I didn't even know if we needed him. And then he was there about five seconds and I was like, oh, okay, let's get him to play on that one as well. And let's get him to play on that one. And I think he really kind of changed the sound of the album in quite a big way added a whole other texture and dimension to it and a kind of like looseness um, to some of the songs like Archie and Stalemate and... I don't know. And I think like mm. he, before he came in, um, someone was like, oh, I'll send Jake the songs tonight so he can like hear them and come in tomorrow and I was like nobody send Jake anything I don't want him to practice <laughs> before he gets here I don't want him to come in and have like made up a part you know I just want him to come in and hear it and then just play whatever he, he thinks of in the moment you know um, and I think I don't know I think this Big Thief has that kind of loose sort of there's a bit of a kind of yeah, like wildness I, to I Buckley's always, guitar like, playing always favourite thing about that band is how Adrian Lenker and Buck Meek's guitar playing is just always, it's always so in sync and yet often so kind of mm. clashing as well. Like they're, they're like two separate vocal yeah. lines that are harmonizing or just two very, very separate ideas. Even how they perform on stage, you know, Buck Meek is obviously like wilding out constantly. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. I always, I think that, um, <laughs> That tiny desk concert. I think it was the first one that they did. Adrian still has her her fringe and her long hair. Um, and one of the com one of the comments on it is like, "This looks like if you if you got four people from entirely separate bands and put them together." Because but like the camera just like pans <laughs> over the three yeah, of them are going so fine. True. Adrian is like you know very very like singer demure singer songwriter look, and then it pans over to Book Meek, and he's just like <laughs> completely vibing it out. Um, but he is just such a like. He's an incredible guitar player, like, and I just think that the two of them mesh so well. And yeah, if 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 that's the the, the inspiration, then I think absolutely the best decision is to just get someone to react in the moment, as opposed to like, you know, composing something beforehand, because it just wouldn't have that same like organic sort of feeling that uh, yeah that Big Thief managed to do. They're just oh, they're my favorite band. I just love them so much. <laughs> I really love them. Yeah, me too. It might not be for everyone as well. That that kind of vibe is like, mm. just come in and see what happens. And you're like, oh, totally. you know. I mean, um, I know one of my friends was at the Big Thief gig and he uh, he was like, he didn't enjoy it particularly because I think he was like, but they mm. were, it was, he was like, it was a mess. <laughs> like, <laughs> they weren't, they weren't tied at all. But uh, for me, anyway, that is, mm. I don't care about that with them, you know, it's all feeling and it's all impulse. And every time I've, well, every time, the two times I've seen them, yeah. but I think I've watched like every live video that exists of them. They play the mm. songs so differently all the time, you know, and I think that's because they're really in it and it's very easy to get away mm. from. It's really easy to, to, to forget that and to just kind of plug in, play, because we know this song. So, let's, you know, it's really easy to be somewhere I else when you're doing it. I think they're as well. They are. Like when, when they're touring, um, I think yeah. I read in an interview with one of them that they might just decide on the day, like, no, it's not right yeah, for us to play this song with the edges. today. Or yeah. we'll, we'll swap this out with this song. Or 
I think we felt that at the at the last gig, or maybe actually both gigs. Well, there was my famous like the set list. My maybe famous the Vicar Street one. Leave until they yeah, okay. Let's not do the Vicar Street one. Let's yeah, not do like, this again, Andrea. But like they, they will do that. They won't play their big song if they're not in the mood to play it. You know. But they did that. Remember, yeah. they did that in Vicar Street. They were like, they started yeah, the song. It was like, yeah. no, this isn't working. Let's do something else. And we're like, whoa. Yeah. And it feels weird if you don't know what their vibe is. You're like, mm. are they fighting? <laughs> they look like they're <laughs> yeah. fighting. It's like, no, they just decided <laughs> yeah. they don't want to play that song right now. I was like, okay, okay, bye. yeah, yeah. Which I appreciate. I quite, I really love that. Would, about yeah. them. would you do that? Would it's you? Very would unique. you be like, <laughs> no, I'm not going to play Archie tonight. I'm not in the mood. <laughs> Uh, mm. I do that if I'm playing solo sometimes, but it's not sure. that I like exclaim it to the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't, I just, mm. I see it on my set list and I'm like, oh no, uh, skip. I don't know. I don't think I'm as relaxed on stage. Well, I don't know if you'd say it's relaxed. They just have a real kind of, I don't think, I don't think they can be anything mm. other than how they are. And it's fine. I think it's, at least from like, the, do you remember that video she put up about people mm. giving out because they didn't do encores or something? Mm. Um, and she was like, you know, if we feel like doing an encore, we'll do it. And if we don't feel mm. like doing an encore, then I we can't do it. And I think I'm, I don't know, I find it harder to sure. <laughs> to be as yeah. true to myself sometimes. Well, encores are weird anyway, though. So if it's yeah. a, if Archie's on my set, like I'll probably play like, encores if, are if, weird. If, if you go to see a band and they don't do an encore, you feel like you didn't get a bit of the gig. But by nature, they're supposed to be like a little extra, <laughs> yeah. a little thank you or a little bonus. Yeah. You're like, oh, they didn't love, they didn't yeah, like exactly. us enough. You know, yeah. they don't miss us. Yeah. The, the 40th just, night they, they played in a row. I can't believe they don't think we're special. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Okay, from Big Thief Masterpiece to uh, maybe a surprising uh, last choice. I'm just going to play it because I think everyone will know it. Before Alex came to Dublin, I think I, I had a call with him and he out of the blue started talking about Oasis a lot. I think him and his brother were on a holiday and they'd like maybe watch the Oasis documentary or something and were listening to uh, a lot of Oasis. And he, anyway, he was talking about them a lot and I was like, <laughs> oh God, <laughs> what what album does he think we're making? And uh because I was not thinking about Oasis when I was writing. Yeah. What was your um, relationship with Oasis before that? I mean, like I, some of their songs I love. And I think like growing up, I learned so many Oasis songs on guitar. Um, and so, but I've never really thought of, of them as a reference point for my music, you know, um, but then he he was like you know he he, start, he sort of started talking about them about you know the sort of like very immediate anthemic sing along kind of style of writing you know um, which that is a great example of 
that is a great example of it. it's like the verse is the chorus and um you can hear it once and you know if you don't hear that song for 20 years you'll still be able to sing it so uh i think we were kind of then when he explained it to me like that i was like okay that actually does make sense to me um and i was still finishing writing some of the songs um so i kind of and i i kind of think i returned to them with that in my head and that song seemed like a very good example of of that um and then sometimes when we were in the studio, like very jokingly, someone would be like, imagine like everyone in like Wembley Stadium on a football match singing this, <laughs> like you want this, that's what you want. That's what you want it to be. You know, that kind of like very, like someone in, in a, in, not in the bad way, but in a good way, someone picks up a guitar in a party <laughs> and, and sings it. If that can ever be in a good way, I'm not sure. Exactly. I think with with Oasis it's interesting because um, I I think it's easy to fall into the kind of like eye rolly thing of like oh Oasis are like you know a dad band or those like bootcut jeans with the brown leather shoes and you know and then I remember I, I watched um, Noel Gallagher's uh, set at Glastonbury um, this year earlier this year and obviously he finished mm. with like you know 10 oasis tracks in a row and i was just like oh they are good you know like they i, I like they they do that anthemic <laughs> arms around yeah. the shoulder the beer sloshing all over your mates but you don't care because you all have a great time kind of thing just so so well like no one does it like them um and she's electric is a is a fantastic kind of version of that yeah it's just like yeah we're here like the it's verse all, is the like chorus. every exactly part like of it this. is a hook you know you um and there's again with that song there's a to- mm. there's a f- mm. it's not like it's not overthought it's not perfect it's not like look at how smart I am yeah. look at what a good songwriter I am it's it's exactly and yeah, the back and vocals it's just about her well, being electric sure. like and the back and vocals yeah. she's yeah. just god look at good. her very true <laughs> yeah so that's why mm. that I I just couldn't I couldn't leave it out I had to very include good. it. <laughs> <laughs> I smiled when I saw it on the list. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Because the rest of them, I was like, oh, yeah, I can see that. I can definitely see it through line. Yeah. And then she's electric. There's I was also, like, even when we recorded like the guitar, this. there's a sort of what the stem is called lead guitar on Stalemate. But it was actually Alex like screaming into the pickup on um, one of the electric guitars. And oh, it was like kind of nonsensical, and he was like sort of howling into it. But then it listen when we listen to it back, it just sounds like a weird, really long guitar solo. Um, I don't think we muted any of it. We were like, yeah, that's perfect. Mm. Let's leave that in. And that that kind of was born out of the Oasis. She's electric. Yeah, I think inspiration too. Cool.
Great. Well, I mean, Sarka, you've you've uh, illuminated your uh, your second album, "Smiling <laughs> Like an Idiot," which uh, is a title I love as well. Um, it's a great album title. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and we wish you the best in your continued success. Thank you so much. Thanks to Sorka for uh, taking the time on a Monday morning um, to come and chat to us again. It was lovely to have her. And uh, yeah, like I said, Sorka Richardson's uh, tour dates happening uh, this week. The Irish tour dates are happening. The Tree Olympia um, on Thursday, the 20th of October and 19th uh, tomorrow, Wednesday uh, in the Limelight 2 in Belfast. That's the 19th of October. So yeah, yeah, go and check it out and go check out Smiling Like an Idiot. It's a really lovely album and a lovely second album. And I think, as I said, you should go and listen to, you should go read Andrea Cleary's lovely review in the Journal of Music and uh, and enjoy that uh, context as well. So Thanks, Andrea. Uh, we're not here next week, um, unless you plan to do a, do one without me. But no, I think God we're, knows. we're not here if next I, if week. If I have something to say, uh, I'll say it, you know. But uh, no, <laughs> we probably won't be because I don't know how to upload podcasts. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we'll be we'll be back the week after, um, I assume, for our best of October. Oh, yeah, best of October happens, so. then. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. We'll be yeah. talking about new music. And uh, great. Okay. That's it from us this week. Thanks a million. Bye. Bye. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.